Well, good morning. You've chosen a good Sunday to be here. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, you have good taste because this is kind of a special Sunday. Once a year, we have what we call a congregational meeting in which we stop what we're normally doing and think about the past and think about the future. And so in terms of the sermon, that means we're going to pause in our series through Leviticus. We'll actually finish it up next week. We're going to pause from that and do a little bit different text as we think about, um, again, last year and pushing into next year. And with that in mind, imagine you're having a conversation with some friends. It's super chill, it's light, and it's easygoing. But all of a sudden, one of your friends says something. And when she says that, the conversation just screeches to a halt. And everyone is just arrested with their thoughts. And, and no one is able to speak. They're just kind of paralyzed because they're thinking. And finally, one of your other friends finally says what everyone else was thinking, says why everyone couldn't even speak. She says, in response to what your friend said, wow, that was deep. Like that word deep, it's so short, but such a beautiful word because bound up with the idea of, of depth and deep is a profundity. There's like a certain insight. There's a mystery bound up when you say something is really deep. You think about the depth of the ocean. It's like, whoa, it's super deep. What's down there? We don't know. There's mysteries down. Deep is a unique and a meaningful word. I mention that because it actually ties into our theme for this coming year. One of the things that we do is we have annual themes, and annual themes are um, good reminders of truths. Even if you don't remember what our theme for this year is, it's okay, because when we thought, talked about our theme uh, back in the day, it kind of reminded us of a good truth of what it means to follow Jesus. It kind of recalibrated us uh, for 2022, and just as a reminder, let me remind us what our theme was for 2022. It was a rise and shine based of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. This year, our theme, or this coming year rather, our theme is a good corollary, a good kind of balance, if you will. Whereas this year is a rise, shine, kind of looking outward, our theme for 2023 is into the deep, based on Luke chapter 5, verse 4. In other words, it's a reminder that while we want to grow out, arise and shine, be a city on a hill, we also want to grow down. We want to have depth and roots in what we're about as we follow Jesus. Lest we become a mile wide, but an inch deep. I mean, a lot of people have suggested that the, the church in America is a mile wide, but an only an inch deep. Lots of people would be part of a church or proclaim faith in Christ, but the depth of who they are, their, their theological convictions don't go very deep. They're rather shallow. And sadly, we kind of see this data-wise. There was a survey that was done, it's done every couple years, called the State of Theology, and it takes the theological temperature of Americans, like all Americans, no matter their, their confession. But what's interesting in the most recent version of the State of Theology was that you can look certainly at how Americans think theologically, but you can also drill down and see how evangelical Christians think. And evangelical, I know, is kind of a word that's gaining a lot of baggage, but in this state of the theology survey, evangelical simply means this. Uh, people that would say that the scripture is important, people that would, that would say that, you know, salvation is found uniquely through the death and resurrection of Jesus, people that would say, you know, evangelism is important. And so in the state of theology, it looks at the theology of Americans, but then you can drill down and look at how evangelical Christians, what they believe. And what was really scary was that Amongst evangelicals, people that would say Scripture's important, Jesus died and rose again for the sins of the world, evangelism is important. Amongst that group, 
there was a great misunderstanding regarding the nature and character of God. Like some of the things that these so-called evangelicals believe, honestly, you can't label it any other way except heretical. And so, sadly, it looks like the church in America still is a mile wide, but an inch deep. And this theme for 23 is really helpful. Yes, we want to rise and shine and be outward looking, but not at the expense of growing deep roots in who Jesus is. So let's go deep on going deep. What I want to do this morning is do a deep dive into Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which we just read, and make three observations about spiritual depth or rather spiritual maturity. So Colossians 1, 28 to 29, let me read it just one more time. You can look in your Bibles as well. It's on page 1015 in the Pew Bible. Uh, I'm going to read it one more time here. Paul writes this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let me give you three observations about spiritual maturity. Number one, in this text, we see that spiritual maturity is expected. I mean, the vibe here is that maturity is something that this is the natural next step when you follow Jesus. Look at the text here. He is the one we proclaim, speaking of Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why, Paul? Why are you proclaiming Christ? What's your purpose here? So that we may present everyone, what? Fully mature in Christ. So just on the, the face of this verse, you don't have to go that deep into it. You just see it. The purpose here is that you would be mature. Maturity is expected in the Christian life. And this text is not alone. Let me show you a couple other texts in the New Testament that have the same vibe, the same sentiment. Hey, Christian, you're called to mature. For example, Paul elsewhere writes to another church, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Now, he's using metaphorical language here, but he's basically saying, hey, church in Corinth, you're not quite mature yet, and it kind of makes me sad. It's a lament vibe that you see here in 1 Corinthians 3. You're not ready for this. You should be ready for solid food, but you're not. You're still on milk. Or, for example, one other text. The author of Hebrews in chapter 6. Therefore, he writes, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ, and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation, etc. The author here is saying, let's go forward to maturity. Maturity is expected. You want to move forward past the ABCs, if you will. I mentioned this last week, but some of you know that I, a few years ago, I spent some time in Taiwan studying Mandarin. And when I got to the university, which I studied, I took some tests to kind of gauge where my Mandarin skills were. And so then I remember going to the bookstore and getting my textbooks. This is the first time I'm seeing how they, how they graded my existing Mandarin. I remember talking to like another ABC there, and I was like, oh, I, I hope the class I'm being put in isn't too easy. It wasn't. <laughs> but none of us want to stay at the ABCs. Like, you want to progress in language learning, in the hobby, in, in your vocation, in your job, in, in everything. You, you want to progress, and that, that is the same thing in terms of following Jesus. We want to mature because maturity is expected. You see that in Colossians, Corinthians, Hebrew, throughout the scriptures. Maturity is expected. Second, maturity is open to everyone. Now, you heard it in the text that we read, but you see it explicitly in another rendering 
uh, of, of Colossians 1 in the ESV. So just a quick primer. Uh, so the, the, New, the, New, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so it's been translated into English. And there's different philosophies of translation. And so the one that we use called the NIV has a certain philosophy. There's another translation called the ESV, the English Standard Version, that's a little bit more literal. It, it kind of just follows the Greek more uh, rigidly. And you can see what Paul was writing here is emphatically saying that maturity is for everyone. Here's the ESV. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I mean, Paul packs it in three times in one verse. He says, this is for everyone. Hence, maturity is for everyone. In other words, Paul is doing away with the misconception that, oh, maturity is only for mm, brainiacs. Like people that are bookworms, that love to read and study, those are the people that should progress in maturity in following Jesus. Paul's saying, well, actually maturity is for everyone. Paul's also doing away with the misconception that, oh, maturity is only for, the, for loud and outgoing people. People who, when they come together at a Bible study, they have all the answers and they spout all the answers. Paul's saying, no, actually maturity is for everyone. And actually, I mean... Sometimes the most mature people are the people who are not just shouting out the answers, but quietly thinking of deep questions. Paul is also doing away with the notion that maturity is only for those people who, you know, dream of being a pastor one day. I have a friend who, when he was little, he would play priest. Like, that's what he did. And you might think, oh, that's a person that, that should uh, really pursue maturity in Jesus. Paul says, no, maturity is for everyone. So maturity is for everyone. Uh, maturity is expected. And finally, maturity is in Christ. Look at how our text begins. Verse 28 begins and verse 28 ends. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Christ is the content of the proclamation. Christ is the one in whom you are mature. Like It's all about Christ. And if you're familiar with the, the gospel and the New Testament narrative, why would it not be? Christ is our only hope in life and death. Christ is the one who laid down his life on the cross, rose again three days later, showing that he was who he said he was, conquering sin and death. He is our proclamation. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is the, the way we have forgiveness. So of course it's about Christ. Of course he begins proclaiming Christ. Of course he says that maturity is found in Christ. But what does that mean? Fully mature in Christ. What, what does that mean? It's having a growing relationship with Christ. It's knowing him more. Well, how do you know if you're growing in your relationship with Christ? How do you know if you're knowing him more, if you will? Well, how do you know if you're growing in your relationship with anybody? For example, how do you know if you're growing in your relationship with your classmates, your colleagues, your friends, your spouse? Well, probably you know more of their likes and dislikes. You know more of their personality, their hopes, their dreams, their disposition. So, do we know that of Christ? For example, last week, we, we thought very briefly about Matthew eleven twenty eight, which Jesus says of himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says, this is my disposition, this is who I am. Was that surprising to you? Or, did you, no, no, I know that of Jesus. Have you sensed the, the beauty of Christ? And further, once you've sensed the beauty of Christ, 
Have you started asking yourself these questions? Am I delighting more in Christ? Am I worshiping Christ more? And because you become what you worship, are you thinking, huh, am I becoming more like Christ? And if you want to see if you're growing in your relationship with Christ, which is knowing him more, delighting in him more, worshiping him more, becoming more like him, ask people around you if you're brave enough. Am I becoming more like Christ? From what you know of Jesus, am I becoming more like him? Am I reflecting something of who he is? If you're brave, ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your colleagues. And that's probably a good way to discern, am I really growing in Jesus? Am I really, really growing and maturing in Christ? So the goal here, just to make clear, is maturity in Christ. It's not simply conversion. Uh, I've trusted Christ. I even got baptized. I'm done. No, no, no. It's, it's growing in that relationship. It's maturing in knowing him. There's a story told, an analogy told of, of these runners who are so excited for this race. And they had all the gear, and they were lining up on the starting line. And the anticipation was palpable in the air. And the gun went off, and they crossed the starting line. They took a few steps and they fell down, and tears were falling down their faces. I crossed the starting line. Well, we, we laugh because that, yes, but you're supposed to cross the finish. Like, you're supposed to keep running. And too often, sometimes, we, we short-circuit it. I became a Christian. That's great. I got bad. That's great. Are you being fully mature in Christ? Are you, are you progressing here? In other words, I think a way to draw this together, the idea of maturity, which is expected, which is for everyone, which is in Christ, is to ask this question. Do you desire the spiritual maturity? Are, are you hungry to grow in this relationship with Jesus? In contrast to plateauing. Like we, we don't want to plateau. We don't want to settle for just being a fan or even, even in our context just being a follower. Like, followers become very watered down in light of social media. It's very easy to follow people on social media. And so sometimes when we now use the word follower, it becomes very weak. I clicked the like, I double tap and gave a heart for Jesus. Oh, it's actually more than that. Rather, we want a robust, being a robust disciple. And all that's bound up in that. That is, when God brings you to forks in the road, and this way is going to be challenging, but it's going to help you mature in Christ, this way is easy and comfortable and convenient, which way do you choose when that fork in the road comes before you? I'm hungry for more, so I'm going to go this way. It's going to be more challenging. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. But maturity in Christ demands that I keep pushing this way. All right, all right. I mean, look at the text. The sense of Paul here is, is hungering for spiritual maturity. Verse 29, to this end I, listen, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is, this is heavy language here. Paul's not like, when it's convenient, with my leftover time, I, I'll, I'll pursue, no. Strenuously contend, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is into this. And honestly, if you keep reading the text, let's, let me just drop briefly. Chapter 2 keeps going. I want you to know how hard I am. There it is, contending for you, for those in Laodicea, for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, 
united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Again, I, I'm pursuing this with all that I am, so that they would know Jesus, in whom are written all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So a very practical question. And here's where you want to land and kind of bring things together. If maturity is expected, if maturity is for everyone, if maturity is in Christ, if we're supposed to be hungry for this, let's get real practical and ask one question. What's the next step? If you're hungry, you're thinking, what's my next snack? What's my next meal? And you're taking action to go to that. If I'm hungry to follow Jesus with increasing fervency, with increasing spiritual maturity, I'm asking, what's the next step here? Now, to, be, to be true, it's going to be different specifically for each one of us. It's personalized based on where you are now, where you've been, what season of life you're in. Like, remember Jesus' post-resurrection at the end of the Gospel of John. He meets uh, Mary, he meets John, he meets Thomas, and his response to them each is personalized for where they're at, their disposition. And so, I want to be careful in being too dogmatic and too prescriptive here because your next step may be different than someone else's. That said, let me give some general principles using the ship metaphor that might be something for you to reflect on. So what's the next step? Maybe for some of you, the next step is to board the fellowship. Like, it's been a couple years, there's been this pandemic, and you've been pulled back from people because you were told to socially distant from them. And that kind of just got in, in, in part of your mind in all areas of life, but particularly your church life, and you kind of pulled back. Maybe you need to press into that again. We are relational beings, and we need one another for encouragement and to encourage them. And I think that's been encouraging, honestly. That's kind of a bright spot here. A lot of us are returning, and fellowship is happening. Again, that's a bright spot. We've got to keep fighting for that not allowing the convenience of live stream to guard us against coming together. Sorry, there are health conditions, I get that. But in general, you know your heart. It's certainly more comfortable to be cozying up with a cup of tea or coffee and your furry friend next to you, and you just flip it on, and you went to church that morning, and it's done. Fight against that. Let's get on that fellowship Maybe another ship that's coming into port for you is the discipleship. Like it's good to come together and encourage one another, but you want more. Let's be honest, we as a congregation are not getting any younger. And lest we become like Taylor Swift, the anti-hero, we're getting older but never wiser. We want to be investing wisely in others. We want to be sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron. And so, again, a bright spot here. Some are uh, meeting one-on-one and encouraging one another on a regular basis. That's good. I've heard stories of that. Or another bright spot, people getting together in small groups or growth groups to encourage one another because you, you recognize we've we got to go deeper here. Let's think about life together. Think about the scriptures together and encourage one another in some type of discipleship relationship. Or maybe another ship that's coming into port for you, and honestly one that we've been talking about publicly for a while, is the ownership Quick context here. At the end of 2020, a group of us got together and thought, what's next for this English ministry? And so we went through a number of conversations about that. 
And so in probably March of 21, we said, hey, let's, as an English congregation, let's grow up and let's lead and love in increasing measure in our own church and in the community. In other words, let's take ownership. That's kind of been one thing that we've been speaking about for the past year or so. And there's a lot of bright spots here. We've seen some people getting on the ownership and leading and loving in profound ways. So for, let me give you a couple examples here. Think about our next generation ministry. So thankful to Beth and Allison and Rachel for taking ownership of our children's ministry, uh, getting involved in setting up good structures for the safety of our kids, onboarding of, of volunteers, so that we can accomplish this goal of helping them follow Jesus, to know Christ, to use the language of Paul. And one of the things that they've done recently is to add a small group component to the elementary uh, uh, Sunday school, which is what we do as adults, right? We get into small groups and we talk, and at a young age now, they're being exposed to how do you encourage one another? How do you talk carefully about this in a smaller group? And that's been encouraging. And it's good because our attendance numbers for the kids' ministry have really been stabilized. Like after we got past the first quarter of last year, you know, it's pretty stable, 15 to 20 kids each week, which is exciting. And now we want to build upon that and pray that our kids can know the Lord, even at a young age, through this ministry. Another bright spot where people are taking ownership is in our youth ministry. We have great adult coworkers, um, and their leadership was tested this past year, uh, this past fall retreat. So I got a call a couple weeks before our fall retreat saying that the place where we typically meet, they had a water burst, pipe burst, flooded. So we couldn't stay there. And perhaps most challenging was there was no food service. Now, honestly, one of my, so our fall retreat is a Friday to Sunday. One of my first thoughts when there was no food service, hey, let's just do 48-hour famine, and we're done. <laughs> but that got shot down. And so anyway, our amazing adult coworkers, uh, Becky, Aaron, Claudia, Eunice, and Serene, they stepped up. And I don't know if you know, you know this, so our, our fall retreat starts on a Friday. They met Thursday night. And they had all this food in the kitchen, and they prepared it. And they were chopping and putting all this food together for our whole weekend. And so they stepped up and served in that capacity. They owned it. And they're not the only people who helped out with our food. Thankfully, a lot of our youth were helping out as well. In addition, thankful to our high schoolers for helping lead worship, either in our formal gatherings or during our campfire. I mean, this is the people that are owning it. And so I'm just thankful for them owning what's here. Another example of a bright spot of ownership where we want to seek to lead and love in increasing measure and serve our church and serve our community happened like two days ago. Some of you were at our fall family festival and thankful to Olympia and her team. It was incredible. If you went, you, you saw lots of people and lots of people did trunk or treat. I was encouraged by the creativity of people trunk or treating as well as the um, thoughtfulness that they put together uh, good uh, trunks. Uh, thankful for people serving food outdoors as well as serving food indoors. Uh, thankful for some of our students helping doing some uh, face painting as well as just people just enjoying themselves. Uh, there'll be more pictures in the newsletter this week. But that's just a, a bright spot for how people got on this ownership and are seeking to serve and lead and love both to bless our community and bless our own church. Another ship that's kind of related to ownership is membership. And a lot of you have already moved through membership, which is so important because to get on the other ship, namely leadership, sometimes well, for a lot of those leadership roles, you have to be a member first. And so this whole idea of ownership through membership and leadership, 
we're gaining some traction here, but we got to maybe take that next step. You know, I think some of you would make great leaders. Love to have you pursue membership and then down the road move into other areas of leadership. So those are some of the ships, if you will, that I think maybe we need to be boarding. And again, it's personalized. I don't know what ship's in your port right now. But you need to be cognizant and sensitive to God's spirit that's nudging you to pursue maturity in one or more of these areas. But let me finish with this. There's one ship. There's one ship that we all have to get on board. And it's fundamental. And it actually drives every other ship. Do you remember in Revelation 2? To the angel of the church at Ephesus write this. I know your deeds, your hard work, perseverance. This is a church that's doing a lot, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. This should give us pause, because as a church, this text reminds us you can be doing a whole bunch of things, but if you're missing worship, if our hearts are not engaged in in delighting in who the Lord is, we're missing out. This is a picture of a tomato plant I did not plant. So I have not a green thumb. I have the opposite of a green thumb. But somehow, this year, in our beds, these tomato plants, plural, started growing. And I was pretty encouraged because because I have the anti-green thumb, I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, these plants are growing. And I'm like, hmm. But what should give you a little bit of pause, and what made me deflated my balloon properly, is if you zoom in, what, you see a lot of green, right? What don't you see? A lot of tomatoes. That's right. That's right. We ought to be cautious. Every church ought to be cautious. You can have a flurry of activity, but no fruit. And you're going to have a flurry of activity if you have maybe all these other things going on, but there's no worship. We're not on that worship. Our hearts are not aligned to delight in the beauty of who Jesus is. So perhaps the next step for you is to make worship a priority. Yes, the worship uh, uh, on the weekdays. We talked about that in other contexts. That as a businesswoman, as a physician, as a baker, when you worship God by doing your, your, your craft well, but also Sunday mornings is, is an important day that we come together on the Lord's Day to worship and to delight in Him. That our hearts are captivated by, by Jesus. So how do we go deeper? Is it by doing more? Maybe, but not necessarily. Maybe the next step for all of us is to realign our hearts with loving more, loving Jesus deeper, and delighting in his love. Because falling in love with Jesus deeper actually drives the other ships. When I know Jesus' love for me, I'm going to fellowship in increasing fervency. I'm going to be able to reach out to people because I've seen love. When I know Jesus and his beauty, I don't want to just stay at the surface level. I want to go into discipleship. I want to go deeper with other people. When I know Jesus and his love and I'm worshiping him, I want to own my role in the church, knowing that Jesus died for the church. He loves the church. He loves this church. I want to own and love and serve within this church. As we finish here, I want to give us some time just to reflect on this, examine our hearts, and worship again. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this reminder that you've called us into deeper waters You've called us into a deeper love for you. And so, Lord, would you cultivate within our own hearts that that depth of worship. Open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. And so, Father, even now as we think about this, we confess 
that for so, so many of us, and maybe so often, our eyes are blinded. We've replaced worship of you with worship of lesser things, things that were never meant to satisfy us, things that we were never meant to worship. And as a result, our spiritual life is stagnant. We've plateaued. There's very little hunger. In, in essence, we, we've stuffed ourselves with junk food, and therefore the, the banquet at the king's table is not attractive to us. So Lord, we confess that we've been wayward. And even in this sense of, of being wayward, of, of sinning against you, of exchanging your glory for the glory of lesser things, Lord, remind us of that glorious truth that in Christ there is forgiveness. And even as we receive that forgiveness again, may the fervency of our worship only be heightened. Our delight and love in you only be strengthened because you love us even when we're unlovable. Therefore, yes, we want to worship you with all that we are and all that we have. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we, as we sing, O Come to the Altar.